Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. This week on the show, interviews with Cork pop star Lyra, who's got a new single out called 29 Box. She's playing a couple of big Irish shows in the coming weeks, as well as supporting Westlife on their UK arena tour in late November slash early December. Then, Neil Dexter, longtime friend of the show, returns to talk about his just-released debut solo album, I'll Be Ready. He's launching it in the Workman Cellar on October 20th. If you're listening to this in time, you'll want to rush along to that. Trust me, just go buy tickets now if you can. And new music this week at the end of the show comes from Cork-based artist. I think she's Cork-based anyway. You're called This Throat of debut EP, I Send It Away to Die. First up, Cork artist Lyra has been releasing a steady stream of singles since around 2016, garnering millions of plays thanks to a booming voice, great pop sensibilities, and a hint of Florence and the Machine thrown in for good measure. She's just released a single called 29 Box, whose lyrics are fairly on the nose. Lyra coined the term 29 Box herself, saying it references the most common sized dimensions of snapshots used to create the perfect aesthetic on social platform sites. She says, quote, While social media is an invaluable tool and networking system, it can consume you and a small percentage of people can make it a dark place. I feel like we live in a world with two lives, our glossy online self, when in reality we all have our own pressures. I wanted the record to resonate with my fans. We need to celebrate our individuality. Lyra's got lots of tour dates coming up. Okay, here we go, here we go. October 27th in the Spiegel Tent in Wexford. Two dates at Cypress Avenue in Cork over the Jazz Weekend. Friday and Saturday, they're both sold out, I believe. Monroe's in Galway is sold out on Thursday the 3rd of November. She's in Big Top in Limerick on 4th of November. Back in Monroe's for an extra date on the 5th of November. Then she's in the INEC in Clarny on the 6th. The Olympia Theatre in Dublin on Tuesday the 8th of November for her biggest headline show in Ireland to date. Lyra's playing the Limelight in Belfast on the 10th. The TLT in Drogheda on the 11th. Set Theatre in Kilkenny sold out on the 12th of November and she's in The Haven in Waterford on Sunday the 13th of November before heading off with Westlife on their UK arena tour, most of which I presume is probably sold out. Don't worry, there is a little bit of Westlife chat at the end of our interview. We'll listen to Falling first, a big track from 2019, give you a bit of a sense of what Lyra sounds like or sounded like at least. And then we'll get into our chat. We're both wearing nice, warm, brown-ish jumpers, if you can imagine the visual over Zoom. I just thought you should know that we bonded over that before I pressed record. Let's start with Lollapalooza Berlin, which I saw that you were at uh, a couple of weeks ago. How'd you get on? Oh, wow. Like, I'd never been to Berlin in my entire life. So, like, it was one of those places that I always wanted to go to. So, we actually arrived there a day early just to do some PR and stuff. And I got some hours off. And I loved the city. And then I went to the festival and I was like, 
wow like I don't know they were just like so accepting I'd say half of them didn't have a bloody clue what I was saying on stage because when I get nervous I talk really fast and obviously I have this like big cork accent on me so they're probably like oh she's a bit interesting but she's it was so cool like they were really just there for the music and I was amazed by the amount of people that like turned up for my set because like I'd say nobody has a bloody clue who I am over there so like to actually have people out there was amazing and some people actually started singing falling and I was like what is going on here this is weird normally it's like just my dad up the front of my sister like singing away so that was amazing and the grounds can we just talk about the grounds of that festival at the Olympic Stadium like it's unbelievable like they've two sizes where they've like these massive like columns with like the Olympic um rings metal going across them and it's just like felt like I was in bloody gladiators it was amazing so all in all 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that you haven't been to Berlin before it seems like a lot of musicians are moving over there I was talking to Moncrief a couple of weeks ago and he's uh he made the move over to Berlin a few months ago maybe earlier this year or something like that yeah but you, but he's you way would... cooler than me he's <laughs> so much cooler than me like I'm not that cool so I'm like Cork England Cork England uh yeah I, I probably should take a venture over there but um I just haven't yeah it, lo it looks good on the press release you know Berlin-based Lyra I can see it now mm. I can see oh it now. yeah this Berlin bitch is ready to rock <laughs> <laughs> we'll get the plugs in early uh you're Tour is coming up in a couple of weeks. We'll start with Cork, of course. First, you're doing two dates in Cypress Avenue over Jazz Weekend. How is the show shaping up? Good. It's really good. Like, um, yeah, I'm very excited about this one because the two Cork shows I've just been told are sold out. I, I normally don't even bother asking because I'm just like, sure, look, if people are there, they're there. If they're not, they're not. But um, to have two of my Cork shows sold out means a lot to me being from Cork and I'm really looking forward to like I'm going to sing like new music that people haven't heard before so it's going to be like some exclusive tracks in there and you know I've worked on my staging a bit and like I'm not going to say I'm going to be flying out of the fucking ceiling or anything like that like budget is not allowing that but <laughs> I've worked on my dance moves <laughs> um yeah I think it's just going to be a really good fun show and I feel like it's the first time where I'm kind of getting on stage and I feel confident as an artist that like okay this is my moment now rather than kind of going up and be like oh god I'm so nervous what am I going to do I'm like yes I'm ready I'm ready to take the bull by the horns oh okay we'll come back we'll come back to the the confidence but sticking with the jazz are you a big fan of the jazz any good uh stories or bad stories from the jazz weekend over the years I actually like I don't know randomly has just never been in Ireland for the jazz weekend ever like it's always like I think maybe it's just because it's summertime and like even like scrimping and scraping, scraping as an artist, you'd always like be somewhere doing some sort of festival or something. And I have, I've never actually been here. So I'm looking forward to actually seeing a bit of it, obviously my show on Saturday, so I can head out afterwards on Saturday, maybe catch a bit on Sunday. So first time. Okay. Okay. It's probably for the best that you haven't been around. Like it, it's just a messy, messy uh, time in Cork, I think. Especially <laughs> three, three years, like since the last one, you know, because of the pandemic yeah. and everything. So it's going to be crazy and playing the olympia as well on the upcoming tours is that going to be the biggest show that you've played in ireland like your your own show yeah it is it's going to be the biggest i still kind of like 
I kind of put that one to the back of my mind because it kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies of it. I'm like, oh my God, this is huge. But, you know, it'll be nice to feel that step up, if you know what I mean. Like, it'll be nice to like go into Olympia and feel like, okay, now I've reached this kind of, you know, a show size, then the next show is going to get bigger and the next show is going to get better. So it's it's nice for me to see the progression from like, you know, when I done my tour before pandemic, I was in the academy and like that sold out and it was amazing to see a packed out room. So now I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the Olympia packed out and what, what that will feel like. I think it'll be a real moment for me as an artist to kind of realize where I've come, which um is always a nice feeling because sometimes you you kind of forget and you kind of get swept away with the everyday life. So that'd be nice. You can see the baby steps now that you have to take to be able to kind of step up to a big stage like the Olympia. But could you see them like five years ago or seven years ago when you were starting out? Were you like, just put me on the Olympia stage now? Did you just want to get there? Yeah, I always did. Like even when I played electric this year, I was like, just put me on that main stage. Just do it. Because you always want to be on a bigger stage performing to bigger people. But, you know, the timing's right now because I feel like you know, doing that Academy show really has helped me kind of understand what it takes to put on a show that then will get bigger. So um, it's a nice learning curve to do the smaller shows and then and then to be able to do the big ones. I tell you, if they threw me on the, the Olympia three, four years ago, I probably would have shit myself. So <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> um... I probably would have been very nervous. <laughs> Um, so, so that confidence that you're saying, does that just come from playing the shows or, or wh- why do you feel more confident now about the upcoming tour than maybe you didn't feel before? I think I'm just feeling confident as an artist. I feel like I really know like who I am, where I want to go. Like, obviously I know the music that's yet to come, which I'm very, very excited about. So like, I feel like I just have that confidence in knowing that like I have the goods and I just want to share it now. I feel like I've been long enough, like when we were all got locked away in the pandemic, so I've been like long away away from the audience that I, I think it's just more like I'm ready. I feel like I'm ready. So it's that's kind of given me the confidence that I have worked hard. The, you know, the homework's done. I'm ready for the exam. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, I was just like reading a couple of interviews with you from over the years and like saw a couple of articles calling you like the next big thing, the next big superstar to come out of Cork. And they're like pre-pandemic. So like when you're thinking about it now, are you thinking like, was your momentum delayed by the pandemic? How do you feel about those labels now? Do you still feel like the next big thing? It was massively like it's uh, it's like so unfortunate as an artist like like you were saying you know a lot of that was happening just before the pandemic and I had just done my first Irish tour which completely sold out and like it was like it was ready like it was right on the brink of like explosion mode and then obviously we all had to press pause so you know sometimes that gives me like a small bit of anxiety thinking about it because like it has been so long since since I was like the next big thing and then those two years were like taken away so like it seems like a long time if you know what I mean but we couldn't do anything in those two years so I feel like they should be erased I feel like we should just erase those two years and just start afresh which you know what it's happening now so I'm not going to dwell on that because like sometimes it really wrecks my head and gets into my mind I'm like maybe I have missed the boat maybe maybe my momentum was better back then maybe this is not going to last as long as I thought but 
you know what, we're here, we're now, it's happening. I'm riding the wave and I'm going to work my absolute arse off. So I am going to be the next big thing. That's it. Oh, I was I was just going to ask, like, is there a pressure that comes with those labels when you saw them like three years ago or whatever? Were you like, what, you know, what are they talking about? Do, do you own it? I mean, obviously now if you're saying it, you know. Yeah, I definitely I think you have to like if I don't believe that I'm the next big thing, then I feel like I'm not going to be because I'll always have that doubt and that doubt will always then hold me back as an artist because I'll always be second guessing myself or not have the confidence to try new things or you know stuff like that or like not having the confidence to write song different types of songs or something like that I feel like it would definitely like restrain me in my art so like I'm like yeah I am going to be the next best thing and I'm just going to keep working and I'm going to keep going and I'm going to get there because at the end of the day that's what I am working towards I'm I'm not working towards like just two more years in the industry and then I'm off I, I really want this to work. I, I want to do this the rest of my life. So I'm putting it into the atmosphere. I'm, I'm going to make it work. And not in an arrogant way. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be the next, next best thing. Watch out, everyone. It's just like, I feel like I have to say that to myself to, to, to give me that kind of like momentum in my own mind, like, and to give me the confidence to keep going and to try and be better all the time. So that's kind of like how I mean it rather than being cocky (laughs) (laughs) do you remember a moment where that kind of I'll I'll say hype kind of started where that kind of momentum of being the next big thing started was there one moment that you can point to one song what would it be it's kind of weird because like Emerald started my career as in like started people knowing who I was but then I felt like falling took me to the next level because it was more commercial it was used a lot on radio and on sinks and stuff like that and then that's when people kind of started getting to know me and then I feel like it was like that tour was the pinnacle because people then had seen me live in my own capacity rather than being like a support act and you know a lot of feedback from that tour was like okay now I get it as an artist once you see it live you kind of get the whole thing like the songs the vocals you know the staging the performances me as a person because I talk on stage because I can't not talk as you can probably tell by now so I feel like they were my three steps that I I felt shifts all the time all the way up they were my three moments Uh, I did want to ask you about your stage banter I saw you during one of those pandemic concerts in Royal Hospital Kilmainham um, oh yeah and was quite taken that was so nerve-wracking that one <laughs> I think that was the most nervous I've ever been because going it was, on the, stage. Fir- it was I... the first gig in like you know however long a year or whatever yeah I was like am I going to be able to sing for this long like am I going to be able to move like oh my god I was so emotional when I got off stage from that that's that great. crazy uh is is the stage banter still present like uh over a year on yeah you haven't been asked to tone it down or anything like that <laughs> <laughs> By my dad, yeah. He's like, can you stop? <laughs> um, I just, you know what? It's just a thing. Like, I never, like, plan it or, like, it's just how I feel on stage at that time. And, um, you know, some shows, like, I have done shows where, like, I don't actually talk that much and my band are like, why are you not really talking? <laughs> and it might just be because, like, you know, I'm not feeling it from the audience or, like, I'm... You know, sometimes you go to shows where people don't know you and I get a bit like, I get a bit nervous on stage and I, I kind of go inward because I'm like, oh God, are they enjoying it? Are they not? And that will affect like my my talk. But like when I'm really enjoying myself on stage, I could say anything, like anything. 
it's kind of actually a small bit dangerous because sometimes I say things I'm like why why did you say that or like why did you do that like when I crabbed across the stage and let you pick it and I was like why I literally was like why why do you do these things but I just get so caught up in the moments that anything can happen when I'm on stage like anything like you saw on Kilmainham that bloody top broke off me I was like the top's broken somebody help me I, th- I like, think I think you were saying it came from pennies or something like three euro or something that's what I remember yeah <laughs> those I mean that's all my clothes are like as as cheap as chips I'm like just get through the show it's fine <laughs> but uh, yeah that's me <laughs> well that that's good what, what happened at electric picnic you were crabbing on stage oh Oh, yeah, just, yeah. So I, I can't really dance. Like, and I openly say that on stage and in case people are like, is she having a fit up there? Well, I am. Um, and I was just like, at one point, I was just like, okay, let's all just shit dance together. Do your worst dance move. And then I done the crab. And I was like, why? Why did you do that? But it was in the moment. It was fun. I went for it. I done it. No regrets. <laughs> <laughs> or is there <laughs> will it will it be coming back out uh during the tour oh, i think the crab is gone though the crab's off <laughs> off limits the crab is gone uh let, let's go back to the start when did you want to like did you always want to be a pop star in music i always want to be a, a singer it starts out of like i just wanted to sing and it was the thing that i don't my sister a lot at home and like anytime we'd be at family dues or like anything we'd always get asked to sing all the time. And I loved it. I never got, got sick of it. Everyone's like, oh God, are you sick to coming to these family things? And you're like, stood up on the mantelpiece by the fireplace just singing away. And I was like, no, I love it. I'm just like waiting for them to ask me to sing. So I always knew it was the thing that I, I wanted to do. But it's actually not until like later on when I wrote my first song, Emeralds, that I was like, oh, I actually want to be an artist. I don't want to be just a singer. So after I wrote that, I was like, it's kind of just opened a new realm. I was like, I can sing my own song rather than singing Caledonia for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's when I kind of like really found out this is this is who I am and this is where I'm going to go. And then when Emerald went a bit bonkers online, I don't even I don't even know how that happened in my life, how that actually really happen because I always use read about people like I put a song online and then it went crazy and I was like yeah yeah whatever and actually sometimes it, it just does happen that way then I was like right well I can obviously write music so this is where I'm gonna go I tech I really wasn't really good at anything else other than singing and writing songs like not gonna lie I, I just wasn't like I couldn't imagine what I'd be otherwise I think I always say like I'd probably either be like a murderer or a detective because they're the only other two things that I'm really interested in. <laughs> a good cop, bad cop. Yeah, psycho. <laughs> what songs were you singing with your sister when you were younger? Oh, sure. All the, the Caledonias, the Song for Ireland, Michael Jackson. We loved Michael Jackson, Earth Song. I'm sure my parents hate us. We're like, ah, ah. They're like, oh my God, stop singing that chorus 15,000 times. So they were all our jams. So pre-Emeralds, what were you doing? Were you were you just like trying to just get a song up online, get a song finished? Yeah, so pre-Emerald, I kind of, I started working with my friend. I say working, like we literally just meet up in his garage and write songs. And he could produce, so he'd like put down the production of it and I'd just write and we'd just done it for ages. And then Emeralds came out of, of doing that. And um, and that's I was just like 
seeing where I wanted to go or seeing what I wanted to be or, you know, checking out what sound I wanted. Like, I didn't really know my voice fully at that point. I don't think I fully knew my actual voice until like a few years ago. Like it took me that long to kind of like know I have a big voice and I like this is how I use it. So, um, yeah, I was kind of just doing that. Kind of like a bit of nothing, just seeing if I could do it. And like were you told like, oh, you've got a great voice. You've got to use it or was no, no, I wasn't. I was told at the start, like, that my voice was too loud and that, you know, me not pronouncing my THs was a problem and that they couldn't really understand me on, on the tracks. And it was a nightmare. It was like, oh, God, what am I going to do? So then when it would come to recording, I get, like, so nervous. I was like, oh, well, everyone says my voice is too loud or it's, it's too brash or... So I was trying to like tone it down a bit and like really try and pronounce my THs. And I, then I get the tracks back and I'm like, this doesn't even fucking sound like me at all. Like I sounded like, I don't know, a 10 year old boy. I was like, what is going on here? So um, it took me a while to actually have the confidence to be like, actually, I can sing like that. And it's, I was so unhappy. Like I, as I said, like every time we go to record and thing, I'd like seize up and they'd be like, oh, you're going to the studio tomorrow. And I, I'd be a nervous wreck because I, I don't know, I never felt good enough because if I was constantly told to change myself, I just never felt like myself was was good enough for them. So then when I took some time out and like really kind of like sorted out who I wanted to be, then um, then she came out, then the voice came out and she was loud and she was proud and I decided I was only going to work with people who kind of accepted that or like, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to be like, oh, your voice is amazing. But like people who weren't like, oh, can you pronounce your THs and that? Or people who were like, you know, understood that I had a big voice, but maybe could say, you know, on that bit, maybe go into your head voice. Like, you know, I I wasn't, I don't mind criticism like that when it's like a productive thing. um, Not just like you're too loud, you're way too loud. And was kind of like a, a negative kind of thing. So um, I then just started working with people that got it. And this is where it got me to. That's really interesting. That It sounds like you, you just suddenly start saying no to people. Like, no, I don't want to sound like this. I want to do my own thing. And then suddenly everything clicks into place. Yeah, I think it's just because I was a lot happier. Like when I went into the studio, like I could write a song in like two hours. Whereas before I'd be in there for two days, come out with half a track because I was always overthinking everything. Like always like... I, I don't know. It was just such a mind game. So then once I like sometimes I go in people and they wouldn't get it. And I would just say, you know what? I don't think they're the right person for me. And then I started just working with the same people over and over again. And the songs just started coming. And I genuinely think it's just because I was more comfortable, more relaxed and felt accepted in the room. And that's when I become my best. And that's why a lot of my songs, I do start them or like write them at home on my own because there is nobody like judging me. So I'm just like, I can go a bit crazy with it. Um, Like the new song that came out, I just wrote at home on my own in like two hours. And and that's just where I was. So, uh, Yeah, it's called 29 Box, which is informative. Uh, the press release says references the most common size dimension of snapshots used to create the perfect aesthetic on social media sites. You Did you come up with that term yourself? I did. 29, 29 box is actually 
So it's 29 by 29 centimeters is like the largest, uh, like I guess the resolution and stuff like that that you can use online to post. So I was like, that's it. That's the one. I knew what I wanted to write about. And then this just hit me and I was just like, what is the size of a post? Like, and then I kind of get like, that's as good as maths as I get. FYI. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> um, and then I was like, I'm going to write about it because I just had had a few weeks where I wasn't mentally great. Like I was kind of going through a hard time on myself, like no one else. It wasn't anyone else. It was myself. I was like really bashing myself and uh, I wanted to write about it. And what better way than sitting down on your sofa in your pajamas and belting tunes into your iPad? that's what I've done it's kind of like how, how do you turn kind of that sentiment kind of like talking about social media and the pressures of online into a big pop song how did you go about it I think for me so I basically just started with four chords that I really liked and I put them on loop and I just I know this sounds like so cheesy but I really really just like sang lyrics that I felt were really really true to myself like even when you like read the lyrics, like it's it's raw and it's so evident what I'm saying. Like I didn't want there to be any tricks or hidden messages. I wanted to get out there like this is happening and it's happened to a lot of people. And, you know, we're all going through it. And just because, you know, people see me on social media living my best life, that is what we portray online, but it's not always what's behind the screen and I wanted people to know that I do go through as well especially the younger generation because like I know a lot of young girls message me and they look up to me and they're like oh you know how do you have like so much confidence in yourself and like you know how do you have the confidence to wear your outfits and like I'd love to wear something like that but I I wouldn't have the confidence in myself and like I wanted them to know that you know I go through stuff like this as well so when they are that they're not there alone and that was like a massive thing that I wanted to kind of like share with them I, I do think social media is a great thing in other ways, like, you know, staying in contact with our friends and like, you know, my friends who've moved abroad, I feel like I'm still with them and sharing things like that. And a lot of artists got get fined through social media, which is amazing for them. Maybe they wouldn't have been found otherwise. So I think that's fantastic. But it just there's a small little percentage of people that make the Internet a very dark place and very lonely and hurt a lot of people and. I was just fucking sick of it, to be honest with you. I was just sick to death of it. I was like, just stop. Mm. Are you able to stop though with social media? Like when you're when you're kind of an artist, kind of on the rise, on the brink sort of thing, is there a pressure to like, oh, you got to post about this, you got to post about that, you got to post about this all the time? Are you able to just be like, no, 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 I'm okay for a while? There definitely is. Like, you know, you do hear a lot like, oh, you should post this or you should post that or you should post more or like, you know, we see a lot of artists now being like, you need to be on TikTok more. You need to do TikToks. You need to do this. And like, I just sit back and I just do it as much as I'm comfortable with doing it because at the end of the day, I am an artist and I'm not an influencer or I like, I'm not a model or I'm, I'm not a TikTok or like, I'm not great at social media. So like, I just do it to as much as I enjoy. And then I just leave it at that and just, let the social world be the social world and I'll go back into my studio and just write songs because 
that's what's going to get me to where I'm going to go to. Not not anything else. Not me. Definitely not me dancing on TikTok anyway, because it'll go viral for a wrong reason. They're like, this girl cannot dance to save her life. I'm like, yeah. So, um, yeah, I suppose there is and there is. And it's just as much as you let it affect you. I do sometimes feel sorry for like my followers on social media because, you know, that little small percentage of angry people um, like I don't normally go and read my comments now or like I most certainly don't on Twitter but like I don't read my comments that much and it's it's really annoying because like there's so much love out there that I'm missing because of this small group of people who are just angry at the world (laughs) yeah you see one negative comment and it kind of cancels out all of the all of the nice ones yeah because it hurts like it hurts so bad and like it's always like something like personal they're trying to attack you on, like be it the way you look or the way you sound or like, you know, it's it's not nice to read. And I know people are like, yeah, but, you know, you're in that world now where I'm like, no, no, I'm in the world just like everyone else. I just sing and, and write music. I'm still skin and bones and it still really hurts when people are like, I don't know, I, I, I can't even be bothered to repeat some of the comments because they're not even worth repeating. Yeah, we'll we'll end on um a positive note. Two more two more questions. You've released a couple of singles over twenty twenty two. Are you working towards an album? Are you allowed to say are you working towards an album? I'm I'm definitely working towards a lot more music coming out, whether that be in the shape of an album, an EP, a few singles, and then the album body of work is is yet to go. And like I could say some I could say, Yeah, I'm releasing an album now, and then I might turn around and be like, actually I want to release singles. I'm not sure which form they're coming in, but they are bloody coming. They are coming fast and furious. And I can't wait. I think it's like it's some of my best material that I've ever written. And some like fun songs in there when I was going through a time where I was just like living life and being wild. And I I love them. I literally listen to them at home sometimes. I'm like, come on, I want other people (laughs) to listen and I'm sick listening to myself. <laughs> and supporting Westlife in the UK later in the year. I'm presuming that's a childhood dream come true. I know. Loving it. I mean, I've my stool ready for the tour. I've all the bits where I'm gonna stand and walk forward and everything. So yeah, it's gonna be amazing. Like they're iconic. Like they've just sold out like all of Ireland on their stadium tours. Now they're in the UK, like selling out everywhere. So like it's going to be a pretty big stage for me to be on. I'm really looking forward to it. And I won't have to um, worry about the accent thing because they know that Westlife is Irish. So they're going to they're going to understand me. I'm, I'm delighted about that. I won't have to slow down. And you'll be like so, yeah. stand, standing in the wings, singing along for the whole for the whole show to them. Yeah, I'm like, can I just run on just for one song, please? It's going to oh, happen. I'll get a matching outfit. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm like, Mark, let me on. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. I love them. Uh, Great guys. Well, listen, best of luck. It's great to see that after a little bit of a pandemic delay, it sounds like it's all happening. So uh, best of luck. Congrats on the new single and best of luck with the tour. Thanks, Millen. Thanks for the chat. I hope I wasn't too deep. (laughs) I never feel good enough for more second guessing myself. I never know what I am up Cause I'm always comparing to somebody else I feel sick to my stomach It's caving in You judge your numbers and it's vanity I never feel good enough Cause I can never truly just be myself 
That's a little taster of Lyra's latest single, 29 Box, which you can listen to in all the usual places. And if you can nab a ticket to any of our Irish dates, you should probably do that now before it's too late. It sounds like it'll be a complete sellout. Next up, Neil Dexter has been on the show a couple of times over the years. First with his band Spies, who disbanded just, just, before COVID shut everything down at the start of 2020. He's since been on to talk about a couple of solo singles he's put out in the interim and now it's a culmination of all that as Neil is back to talk about his debut solo album I'll Be Ready. It's lush, textured, I think those words will get thrown around a lot about the album, full of 70s and 80s influences. The opening track, which we'll hear in a second, is called Robert Wyatt for instance and should give you an indication of the sounds that follow. There's Roxy music elements, Madonna Ray of Life-esque bits, and yeah, Neil tells us about more of the influences during the chat. Maybe have a notepad ready to take down all the names. The album got four and a half stars from the Irish Times. Tony Clayton Lee writing, he has managed to invest these songs with levels of art slash pop experimentation you thought had evaporated. These layers, also reflected on the album cover artwork, virtually define the meaning of the word texture. There's that word again. This is pop music formed not with stereotypical bells and whistles, but with painstakingly designed soundscapes. In Headstuff, Will McKay writes, There is a huge amount of technical ability on show throughout, I'll be ready, with some really sleek bass lines on tracks like Loving You, which would make it a mainstay of any indie disco. In short then, Neil Dexter's debut album is one you should probably be seeking out right now. He worked with David Tapley from Tandem Felix and recording engineer Stephen Dunn on the record. And yes, we talk about all that as well. And there's also talk about Neil's former group with Dara the singer from Gilliband. Oh yes, oh yes, a nice little taster there for you. But first, Neil is launching the album at the Workman Cellar on October 20th. Hopefully, the first show of many to come. Let's listen to the opening track, Robert Wyatt, and get into the interview. Thank you, Robert. 
So release day. How how are you feeling? I'm feeling really good. Um, I had a bit of a nightmare with the uh, <laughs> with the SPD or is that what it's called the the digital platform? Um, it it went up under Neil Dexter, but not my profile. So I've been on to DistroKid and Spotify to try and sort it. Apparently, it happens all the time. Um, so that was a bit of a nightmare. But what do, uh, what do you mean, it, like under your own personal profile? So they basically created a new Neil Dexter on Spotify uh, with no followers or nothing, and they put the album there. So if hopefully by the time people hear this, they'll they'll have actually it, they'll fix the problem. So hopefully it will be. So that was a bit of a nightmare uh, seeing that, and then but the reception has been phenomenal, like gotten really good um, reviews and just tweets and nice things that people are saying. So I'm really happy. Otherwise. Great. Um, we've talked before about kind of the end of Spies and stuff. I don't know if you have anything else to add about the end of Spies. Anything the end of like? Spies, I mean, the thing is, the, I guess the more time that goes on, the more you just kind of appreciate how much fun it was and how great it was. Um, when things ended, and I've been very, we've all been very honest, like it was kind of tough because we had this thing we'd invested so much time in and then we just finished it. So that was kind of hard. But looking back, like we're all really close friends so there's no issues like you know we all still kind of even hugh who's the bass player in spies he's in the band for neil dexter now so you know we we all get on well otherwise i mean it's kind of like a family thing you know you kind of they're they're almost your family because you've been in a band with them for so long and they're like brothers so they're always there and you know when you think about people in your life you go i've got my family got my you know I've got a kid now and stuff and then you go you got the spies lads you've got this group and they're kind of that sort of next to family you know one of the things I was wondering was how making the solo album compares to making the album as a band. Uh, very different in some ways. All of um, the pressure is on your shoulders, I'm guessing. It is, as yeah. As much pressure as you want to put on it. like Yeah, there is a lot uh, a lot more pressure. And, and I kind of struggled with that at the start. And what got me away from that was probably, um, you know, chatting with Dave Tapley, who produced it, and him saying, look, let's just book the studio and go in and, you know, whatever ideas you have in your head or demos you have let's just book a weekend and, and see see what we can do um and that sort of gave me the confidence to just do it um it was it wasn't really an album at the start it was just let's go and record some songs so it was like two or three tracks for that first weekend and then so on for the, for the future weekends and um, so what was different was that spies we already had an established way of working we would all write in a room together and then for constancy when we wrote that album we would kind of, you know, use the computer as well. So using Logic to track over stuff and have a more critical ear and add or take away some synth parts. Um, but for the the process with David and Stephen Dunn as well, who engineered it, the three of us would go into the studio and just layer stuff on top of what we had or just think of, there was no wrong ideas, just kind of add whatever we, th- we feel. Uh, and Dave, to be fair to him, had a lot of editing to do afterwards, but um, the result was good, so it worked great did you have the sound at the start like of what this debut album would sound like did you know what what it was going to sound like four years ago or however long it was when kind of you started out with this thing no i don't think so um i struggled as well with like what is my thing what is my sound i had no idea um i think spies we'd established sort of a sound in the early days then with constancy it was a more electronic influence sound but it was very much a sound and you kind of it was a finished product in the end for my own music i was constantly asking myself the question what what is this what am i doing um and i cared less and less about it the more time that went on and in the end it was like what influences am i drawing from what what am i 
what feels good, what feels right. Um, so between myself, Dave and Stephen, we we generally, before we go to the studio, we'd just be sharing songs and adding a playlist together of what we're listening to at the time, whether that's, you know, Avalon by Roxy Music or So by Peter Gabriel. Mostly a lot of 80s stuff, obviously, as you can hear if you listen to the album. Um, but that would kind of get us on a sort of a wavelength that we can all draw from the same influences and um there was some modern stuff in there i think but mo- most of it was sort of old music um yeah so that's kind of how we worked tell me about the influences of the album like why was it always 80s with you i mean you do seem to <laughs> you do listen to modern music right i think so yeah uh i try to uh no i, I don't know what it is um i think growing up we always had abba cassette tapes in the car okay that's 70s obviously some 80s but their sense of melody and fun as well listening to those in the car abba gold um was always amazing and there was obviously some other cassettes i think the white album and a few others but um, maybe that's where it comes from and then maybe later in life i said oh yeah actually i kind of remember that sound or that feeling um could be that or it could also be um there's something i really like about embracing something that maybe was considered cheesy and not caring about it whether it's good or not does that make sense yeah like, i feel I feel like that's a thing that people are only kind of getting around to in the past couple of years that it's okay to like like pop music and, yeah and, i think so i mean like uh, that happened maybe when i started listening to uh, peter gabriel and then genesis and i remember genesis specifically were like a no-go zone for me when in my early 20s I was like working at a record shop and you'd see so many of these records and you'd be like oh that's nonsense prog music and probably a lot of it is to be fair <laughs> uh, uh, but there's lots of good stuff in there too and for some reason now Genesis seemed to be cool I like there's people who are like quoting them and like not being joking about it and um, so I kind of enjoy going down sort of rabbit hole of listening to even the stuff that's not really considered that good and um, but it's always something you can learn from it as well, you know. I kind of enjoy that. Uh, do you have any Genesis tips you wanna you wanna hit us with? I, I oh, know uh, so little about Genesis. Like, well, I'm gonna have to invite you to my Genesis podcast. And you can, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert, so I feel like I I spoke Lola's dad and um, my wife's dad is a real big fan of Genesis and especially the Peter Gabriel stuff. So more so that than the Phil Collins stuff. But the Phil Collins stuff, you know, it's still good. Uh, some of it. But uh, Lamb That Lies Down on Broadway is their, like, kind of the last album Peter Gabriel was doing. And I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but um, it was the last album he did with them. And some of the tracks are just phenomenal. Like Carpet Crawlers, which is um, one of the tracks on the album, it's just the melody is stunning and the delivery and the the way that it's done, the, the way the song is crafted. And when I listened to that for the first time, I it kind of inspired me to to start writing my own music, to be honest, which is very like quite an emotional connection to that song and and listening to genesis and as i said like feeling okay to to like something that you're not supposed to like or you know like a band that's not necessarily cool um and yeah it was kind of quite freeing in in some ways and that was when spies were still going that was well before i i kind of got into doing my solo stuff but it planted the seed and i started writing a lot more on the piano my granny's old piano was ended up in our house and so i kind of would sit down on it after work you know just tinkling away and recording voice notes so that's probably where it started and then snowballed into this album <laughs> in yeah <the> end. <laughs> uh with with spies did you see your tastes 
not converging uh di- diverging isn't that the right the right phrase like could you could you see that happening and was that when you were thinking like oh maybe i have a solo thing that i want to pursue i i think the solo thing was not really an option in my head even when spies were still going not because of any rules that the lads had created but more just my own limitations of my own brain was saying <laughs> oh I'm, I, I can't do that that's that's so much you know I, I didn't have the confidence to do it really and it was as i said dave who kind of helped me through that um but yeah i, I think our, our taste naturally diversified over time just as you get older i think that happens and i think even when we were writing constancy and beyond we were listening to a lot more electronic music and we were i was listening to more as i said genesis or weird prog music but we all respected each other and still like Hugh loves Rush as well. And I'm, I'm still asking him like, what, what Rush records do you recommend? You know? And, and, uh, I, I still haven't really gone full Genesis style. Uh, <laughs> Never go know, full yeah. Genesis. <laughs> yeah. Full Rush. But, um, I trust him. Do you know I, mean? I think that's the thing. We all trust each other's taste and judgment. And if, it, if we think something's not, you know, it's a bit whack sounding or something, it's kind of funny then. And then we can kind of go, Oh, actually that's, that's kind of gas. And, but, um, yeah, we all really respect each other's taste And, um, that would help each of us broaden our own tastes as well. And someone would say, hey, listen to this Fela Kuti track that I heard over the weekend. Oh, amazing. Like, I hadn't thought to listen to that. And, you know, there was a lot of that. And, and in some ways, I kind of miss that because it's a really nice, when you're in a band, you can just share that track and add it to a playlist or, you know, and it's a really lovely thing. So the community aspect was always, in, in my mind, the best part. And I think the lads would say the same thing. And just because you mentioned him a couple of times already, David Tapley, like, would the album have come together? Would you have, like, continued on the path if it wasn't for him? It sounds like he's kind of, like, pushing you, pushing yeah. you in a way. Yeah, he's like, you know, he's a real pushy guy, if you've ever spoken. <laughs> no, no, he's not. He's a, he's a lovely, lovely guy. Um, I've known Dave for years. Like, we, were, we met in college, and we kind of bonded over music because I was in Spies, and he was in Tanda Felix from very early days. But um, more recently, he kind of... And it's not a pushy thing. It's literally just a kind of a... His, he's got a great attitude towards music in general, I think, and how it's created. Um, he just, as I said, he would be very kind of easygoing and say, yeah, let's just book the studio. Um, and that really helps kind of me build my confidence. He's also got an incredibly good ear. And same with Stephen. Like, they're a partnership that I was like, early on, even before I knew this was going to be an album, I was like if I can tap into whatever those guys are doing, you know, uh, with the Tan and Felix album, it sounded amazing, the first one. So I said, look, if I can tap into that and kind of, you know, get them to not do the work, but get them to do their thing, I just have to kind of get my ideas out of my head and record whatever. And Dave tracked loads of the stuff. He tracked loads of guitar and synth and everything. So, you know, it was it, it 100% wouldn't happen if it wasn't for those two guys. So they're a huge part of it. So I consider it a collaboration, even though it's my name and it all, you know. And I feel like a lot of artists are like that too. You know, it's it's to write an album completely on your own. Maybe I could do it now after I've got a bit more confidence. But at the time, it was never never an option because I didn't have the skills maybe as well with, with software, but also the confidence. The confidence is interesting. Where does it just come from doing it once? Can do you think that you got more confidence confident as the process continued or is it just seeing like oh it's my name on the on the final product. I can I can do this. I think gradually over time the confidence built. I think I was a bit of a late bloomer that way in the sense that like I'm 31 now and I feel like I'm only just in the last couple of years starting to really have enough confidence to do a lot of things. So and I don't know 
if many people can relate to that or maybe some people feel very confident very early on in their 20s um, I think it was really nice for me to be in a band like Spies where I could just kind of contribute and give 20% or maybe a little bit more or less depending on the track but now it's like oh it's me um, and to be fair as I said Dave has given loads and, and Stephen as well yeah I think it just happened gradually over time as I said the album was recorded and if you look at it this way a weekend and then six to nine months would pass another weekend another six to nine months would pass another weekend so it kind of happened in that way so in between each session was a kind of time where all the ideas were sort of forming tracking demos um as i say building confidence and each time you go into the studio next time and it'd be interesting if you, if you ask dave about it i'm sure he's seen it from the external perspective when we first were chatting he's probably like jesus you're apologizing for your existence in the studio <laughs> you know yeah. and then maybe towards the end it's like I've been starting to get a bit more directive. Okay, let's do this. Let's do this, you know? And that's quite nice. And it feels good to get into that role a bit more. And I see, you know, and Dave's been pushing me as well with the next album. You know, why not just record it yourself at home? Like, you know, what's the blocker really is is the question. And and you have to challenge yourself with these things. But at the same time, love hanging out. So, you know, (laughs) you want to do that too, you know? Yeah, you uh, like, it sounds like for an artist like that whole collaboration process just meeting up with other artists and yeah. talking to them about it is so important isn't it definitely is yeah and actually I, I should say as well i keep i'm talking about everyone else here um like my wife lola as well has been such a great support um like even during spies and, and doing solo stuff she sings and we co-wrote some of the songs on my album as well but it's just been great to have her as a kind of an outside critical ear um now she's an inside ear because she's <laughs> co-written some of the songs so but yeah th- it's been great to have that support great she's um in the band as well who's playing on uh, ne- uh tomorrow i'm guessing if people are listening to this when the podcast goes up yes tomorrow she's going to be singing backing vocals and um lead vocals for some of the songs depending on which one um yeah so i'm really excited for that too i was actually so she I was going to ask who, uh, who's the woman's voice on the album that's on a couple of songs. So it's Lola. It's all obviously. Lola, yeah. yeah. Ah, great. Um, and I think she's really, because she's, she's always sang and she sang in just like Discovery Gospel Choir back in the day. Um, but I think she's really enjoyed just finding that kind of voice again after having not been in the choir for a while. Uh, so it's been really good. So you're like the uh, David Tapley to her, Neil Dexter. Oh God, you know, you're you're going to push big, her to make an album. Big shoes to fill. <laughs> I feel like this is like the David Tapley Appreciation Podcast all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how many times I've mentioned. Yeah, well, he's he's featured on so many albums like over the years and like does yeah. little bits here and there. So he's like a, he's become this kind of pedal steel guru type, yeah, yeah. even though he doesn't really consider himself much of a pedal steel player, which is a funny thing. In time, in time. Um, you mentioned becoming a new dad uh, as well in recent months. Was it, it was earlier this year, wasn't it? Yes. Um, so my daughter Dolly was born in may so she's nearly five months now wow how has that impact i mean like how has it not impacted Uh, um like your music making i mean it's funny like i remember listening to other artists and podcasts with other artists who would say i think i don't want to say the wrong person now but who would say things like you know the baby can sleep for you know 60 to 90 minutes and during that time you know you can sit down at the piano or at the guitar and just write a little idea so it's been more of that kind of stuff rather than getting out because I, I wrote a lot of the album on literally plugged into a computer and kind of using soft synths and you know tracking stuff that way it i more recently it's been more fo- uh, voice notes on my phone that have just been tr- whatever comes to mind in that when she's asleep or when i have a moment 
Um, so yeah, I think the creativity it's it's always there and it's kind of around. I, like I haven't stopped creating music, but the way that I've done it has kind of changed. Um, it's and it's still just little snippets of ideas. Nothing's finished yet. So I think in order to finish the next album, I have to give myself a, a deadline like I did last time, like book the studio or say, okay, by the 1st of December, I need to have three demos. You know, I haven't done that yet. I'm kind of still in the, just letting ideas kind of flow and, and record them here and there. And listening wise, I'm guessing there's a lot of white noise or blue noise uh, going on on your Spotify. Um. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So there's uh, all these kind of baby... Baby womb sounds was was a good one early on. Uh, we thought it made a difference, but maybe not. And what else is there? There's like Lola's found some really good ones that, that are actually quite nice. Some of them are kind of annoying. They have all these glockenspiel and kind of ding ding ding. I was like, no no no. Uh, some of them are actually quite good. I'm like, oh maybe I should get into like writing this kind of music, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hear you hear of some artists who do kind of focus on that type of thing um whether it's more kind of ambient stuff and getting on the ambient playlist and you can spot them like if you look up an artist and the, you know one of their tracks is like 12 million plays or something like that so i don't know kids music might, might it, be yeah. that. make my millions doing that <laughs> um you mentioned the studio a couple of times what studio did you record the album in we were in sonic studios uh for most of it which is in stony batter that's um, i thought that was um daniel fox's studio yes yeah, same one um so Stephen Dunn, who's the engineer, he kind of used that a good bit, and he knows Al, who uh, runs the studio. Oh, I, th- um, I thought I thought it was actually Daniel Fox's studio. I didn't realize that. Well, other you know, maybe he has he, he owns some shares in the studio. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. I'm sure, like he he's there a lot, so maybe maybe he does own part of it. I have no idea, but uh, yeah, he's there a lot. So uh, for all intents and purposes, I'm sure it's Daniel's studio. But uh, yeah, we we recorded it there, and it like it was great because there's good gear and it's quite. Uh, you just find when it's when it's available at a given weekend and go in and you, you see people like Daniel or the rest of the Gilliband guys or who else would be in there? Aina Brennan, you know, just be in there mixing in the next room or, you know, there's, there'd be people around. So it's quite nice and nice coffee spots and all around there as well. Great. Um, how do you want to talk about the album? Do you want to talk about it in terms of like when the first single came out? I think that was Loving You a couple uh, last year. Yeah. Or do you want to go through it as, as the track list is? I'm easy, like genuinely don't mind. If you want to do go track list, we can do that. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about a couple of um, songs. Robert Wyatt is the opener. Uh, an interesting song, lyrically. <laughs> uh, tell me more about Robert Wyatt. Where, where did the attraction for this come from? Uh, this is literally, like most of my lyrics are just kind of whatever comes to my mind at that moment um, when I'm in li- doing something in life. Uh, this was on a plane on the way back from a holiday, I think, is feeling a bit reflective. And... Um, it was just a stream of consciousness reaction to listening to Rock Bottom, which is is his debut album in 1974. After um, he was in a band before playing drums, and he had an accident, and he ended up um, he's now like he's been in a wheelchair since then. So um, that was my reaction to him listening to that album. It was for me listening to that album for the first time, and I was blown away by it. Like, and I absolutely love Robert Wyatt now. So it's kind of. Yeah, it was just kind of whatever came to mind. And then uh, musically, it's probably more influenced by Tears for Fears or that kind of thing. I think it works. Um, it was one of the first songs I wrote. So I was sending that demo, like half written song to a few friends being like, what do you think of this? And, you know, people were like, oh, that's cool. I like that, you know, riff in the chorus. So it kind of gained a bit of momentum and ended up on the album. I think of it as a funny song lyrically. Like, do you see it as as that? Like you're saying, uh, you, you probably know the lyrics better than me. You're saying like, thank you for the 
one hand drumming or something yeah i mean i don't even know if that makes sense it's just whatever <laughs> whatever i wrote so I, i'm not going to try and hold myself to being like accurate with with all the lyrics but um the in general the sentiment is like a sort of a thank you for making amazing music and you know having that connection to someone who's who's been there before and also kind of maybe this is me being hard on myself and kind of being very uh, reflective but you know sort of apologizing for not having heard it sooner you know like no yeah like oh, why didn't i you know this is such an amazing album i should have heard that when i was in my early 20s or in my in my teens which is a ridiculous thing to say but i kind of feel like that sometimes you know you're like oh god why didn't i spend more time listening to music <laughs> or why didn't i read more books or why didn't you know it, it was harder for us as well like when like pre-spotify you know when you had to spend like 25 quid 20 quid to listen to a cd or something you know and you're like there's only so much that i can actually afford to listen to yeah and maybe now because there's so much there it's like you kind of get overwhelmed and you don't even know where to start um so i think with with an album like that and i can't remember how i got onto it but i think i just seen the album come up somewhere online i don't know and i was like geez i must listen to that like it was on my list and finally did and i was like blown away <laughs> he's another artist probably like genesis for me who i don't really know that much about well you know you won't be disappointed again we can do like a genesis robert wyatt <laughs> uh soft machine kind of podcast if you want and i'll have you on uh maybe maybe i need to do that but but that's the thing like you know you can listen to all of robert wyatt stuff on spotify like all the way through like spend hours and hours and you're like i can't remember any of that binge i would say if you haven't heard it yet start with his he does a few covers amazing covers Start with his cover of um, At Last I Am Free. It's actually a Sheik song that he covered, which oh. is really interesting. And his his interpretation is quite, it's kind of mad, you know, Like, but I love it. Uh, I love his approach. Great. Um, Loving You is the next track I have down. Um, This was the first single, uh, I think. You say, I should have spent more time living in the moment. Um, How literally should we take that? <laughs> oh, God. Um, Pretty literally. I think that's like probably something that a lot of people feel. I think a lot of my lyrics, when you take them out out of the songs, are very intense, and that's probably just I'm a very intense person. But the um, the music, I think, was always a nice way of disguising that. I think, if that makes sense, you can put lots of nice production and layer a lot of stuff, and then you maybe you can hide a bit of the lyrics. But um, yeah, that was another just thing that came to mind about um, you know, the idea of loss maybe, and just about you know if i'm going to regret anything it's probably that i didn't spend more time loving people or loving my partner or loving my wife and um, so i think that's the kind of st- that's probably where it comes from but it sounds so intense when you say call it out of context <laughs> <laughs> um it's it sound wise it sounds like lcd sound system influenced as well which i think kind of suits the lyrics are they a big influence on you as well i think it's that's an interesting question because lcd sound system definitely influenced spies a lot um, and I think we also used the same synthesizer, the MS-20, which features on this track. So that MS-20 is on the chorus, the or that, sorry, in the chorus of um, Robert Wyatt, and then it's also in, in Loving You just throughout the song. So maybe there's a bit of that, and I think probably Robert Wyatt and Loving You were the first songs I wrote, so they were still kind of in that, inf- like more in that spies territory, if you want to call it that. Um, but for my own music in general, I've probably deliberately tried to get away from LCD sound system for some reason. 
Um, I don't know why. <laughs> so you think the album kind of, uh, I, I probably haven't listened to it enough to realize, but you think those two songs are almost like outliers and then the the your sound kind of develops as the album goes on? I think the album is, there is sort of a journey that it does kind of develop and change over time. And I like that about it. I think that's why in the end I was like, does Robert Wyatt fit at the start of this album? It feels like a completely different thing. But when I finished listening to the album being like, okay, we'll be there ends. If I start with Robert White again, it's like, where the hell did I start? How did I end up here? You know, and I kind of like that as well. The sort of journey takes you on. It gets kind of murky in the middle with Alpha and don't question it. Um, but then you come back to Robert White and loving you. It's all bright and kind mm. of, you know, so I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those are the earliest songs that you've written, are they? Yeah. And I'll Be With You is the other one. There, there were the three from the first session. Um, I'll Be With You being the kind of Beach Boysy influenced one. <laughs> I think I had Beach Boys written down as kind of a, a question. I love the, like, what, I don't know, LCD Sound System is probably, like, the newest influence that's on the <laughs> yeah, album. Yeah, that was... 2002, that was like... like I, I, know, I should probably, like, I don't know why I kind of tried to get away from them, but I, I've i obviously gone down the sort of 70s, 80s route and not gone for the more modern stuff, which is probably not good. Uh, Alpha is another interesting song, again, kind of lyrically as well, kind of about social isolation, uh, it sounds like that song is about um d- was it easy enough to write did it just start with with that line what happened to you tonight and you kind of go from there again that was another in the moment i was at a social gathering or whatever and um you just kind of those moments when you step back maybe everyone's had a few drinks or whatever but you step back from the whole situation and you're just having a bit of a moment to yourself of like oh what the hell's going on why do i feel sort of awkward why am I not understanding social dynamics? I generally think that I'm quite good at sort of picking up on dynamics between people. And, and if I can't understand them, sometimes that frustrates me. Um, so maybe that was it. I was like, oh, what's going on here? Uh, and what happened to you is more of a, I mean, I guess literally it could mean what's going on with that person. Why are they behaving that way? I don't understand. Um, and then the other side of it is maybe it's me asking myself. Maybe I've had a, a hard night on the tiles and I'm like, you know eating a burger on the way home down o'connell street um and you're just like what what happened to you like what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing with your life so there's a bit of that in there too maybe but i like it's kind of noir sort of cd i, I imagine it like you know maybe it's the sort of brian ferry solo stuff that kind of which i wasn't actually listening to at the time but i did afterwards um yeah that and kind of that finding your confidence that you mentioned earlier that seems it I don't know it seems like a thing that is prevalent in your 20s and you do kind of grow out of it a little bit in your in your 30s you're kind of less caring about it so it's interesting that those two themes are kind of emerging yeah definitely and like this whole album is just me so like there's no um there's no spin there's no kind of angle or no marketing involved in the whole thing like now it it obviously is an album and I want to sell the record but it's all just raw raw enough material being put in there and then producing it and making it sound good so the, the lyrics are quite raw i think you mentioned your age 31 dara dara from gilliband is 31 as well i was re- reading um one of his interviews uh over the course of this week and he talked about that being an interesting time for him lyrically kind of mm. changing do you kind of see that as well like i, I remember talking to you like um 2018 19 i think when you were just starting out sort of thing going into the studio do you think that you can see a bit of a change as well even in those three or four years personally as well as artistically yeah definitely um i think like it's it's funny you mentioned dara because 
like we've been friends for years and we used to play in a band together called Biclops. So I'm going to plug Biclops wow. right now. I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, it's like you have to go deep into the annals of Bandcamp to find it. Myself, Dara and ba- uh, Paddy Ormond. Uh, but it was, yeah, we actually put a few tracks up and I think they're pretty great, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like Dara would be a lot further along the journey of like he's he's great he's a great writer like lyrically and i think um someone that you'd look up to and go wow like he's amazing but for me um my lyrics like i never knew like i still don't really know what's going on with lyrics i just kind of whatever comes to my mind and if it feels honest i'll put it down um but in terms of the change uh yeah i definitely agree that like in the last few years you do just things change and i have a baby or i have a kid now so it's you know that's a that's a fundamental thing but also just yeah as you said confidence finding your feet realizing that like you don't have to care as much and people don't really care that much anyway so it's kind of grand you know like i think you know if you if you compare it to like being in bands when you're in your 20s like we have to do this thing and it's going to be this and and then you're in your 30s and you're like yeah it's grand i don't care i'll just put it up and, <laughs> you know I'll, I'll do a due diligence and i'll release the thing but um i don't really need to like put my meaning into this you know i can't believe that this is like the third or fourth time that we've talked over the years and this is the first time i'm hearing about biclops uh yeah no i I don't know we have to have a biclops podcast now as well uh uh when when was this like start start of 2010s i'm guessing something around then i'm 20 i'm trying to think when it was that i was most loose pre-girl band uh no 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 i think there was this time when we were all renting in that studio in uh where Gilliband still rehearsed and uh, we were all in it was vault back in the day it was called now it's called yellow door uh we all had shared rooms like jet setter spies Gilliband, everyone and uh i think there was a number of sort of bands that were invented in the moment like maybe after a jam if whoever was still hanging around would end up you have a few cans or whatever and uh biclops is one um what else was there I think there was one called the Sexy Heartthrobs, but probably the less said about that, the better. <laughs> Who was in that band? I think that was Paddy and Jeff, actually. Uh, Jeff, the drummer and spies, and Paddy Ormond. Who? Paddy Ormond. Self-titled Paddy Ormond. <laughs> uh, that was, whatever year it was, that that was post-crash. It was kind of like... Yes, yeah, what, yeah, all post-crash. I mean, everything we did was post-crash, really. How do you look back on that time? I mean, like, obviously you're looking back with hindsight and with youth and nostalgia and stuff, but like... I mean, yeah. it must have been enjoyable. Oh, it was great. Like, we finished school in 2009. So, the same year as all those guys, you know, the Gilliband crew and everyone else. And Connor Cusack, obviously, was in Spies. So, we all finished that time. There was nothing really there for us in terms of, oh, like, the, the economy is absolutely fecked, you know. So, we all just kind of did music. I mean, everyone, people went to college and all that kind of stuff. But um, not none of us really could move out or we, we were still living at home for the most part and um, so getting that studio vault now yellow door was like our treehouse and it was a 24-hour studio so you go in there um, on a friday night after college or whatever or you just go in and you'd stay there until 3 a.m <laughs> and then you'd be back in the next day and all oh, lots of weird and wonderful things would happen but i think you talk about those kind of creative spaces i'm trying to think of examples like new york in the late 70s with blondie and uh, talking heads i'm not going to compare it to that but you know when you've got a physical space where things can happen weird and wonderful things can happen it's great you know and lots of good stuff came out of that like Gilliband were already a band before then you know but i mean it's just i think that was really important um to have that kind of place and we also did these gigs as well i remember junior special ran a gig in the twisted pepper with literally all of the space bands and it was like a five headliner of all oh, the wow, bands wow. and it had i think it was it was girl band spies uh, we arrive alive, Jet Setter, and I think Biclops as well. <laughs> I That's think great. so. That's great. I love hearing stories about about that time. What a time to be alive! I like 
when it is so many musicians in a space as well and you're all talking and sharing ideas and stuff it does make me think like whether people are pro or anti bim like for the people who are actually there like it's just so great they have so many different styles and so many uh uh different people who know what they want to be in the music industry that cross-pollination so i guess you're kind of like the pre-bim kind of sound almost i mean like there was one pocket of things that was happening but i'm sure there was other things like maybe was there a wheeling scene in the early noughties i don't know i don't know anything about it but well singer songwriters yeah there you go (laughs) so maybe there was that and then with bim like i don't i know people who've gone to bim and stuff but i don't have any direct experience with bim as such because it was after probably we were you know in college and stuff like that that it was here um, but yeah, like incredible artists that come out of there, like, and you just see so many. Jeez, they're so fully formed, and you're like, how did, how do they know how to do this stuff that I had no idea how to do when I was, you know, eighteen, nineteen? We we're all figuring it out, and they come out fully formed, and they're really got their head in their shoulders. They're real, you know. And then you go, okay, yeah, they've they've got some, you know, they're getting actually some in- good information on it. And I know Al from Gilliband works there and stuff. So, oh. um, well, I think he still does. But you know, like having that sort of ability to learn that stuff early on is really helpful yeah yeah it just makes me so excited about seeing kind of the fruits of all of those acts who are coming through like irish music week was last week and i guess a couple of bands played that so it'll be great to see what happens um from from bim going forward fontaine cc the obvious Mm -hmm. graduates from there um back to your album you make me feel really jumps out at me like really lush kind of sound i don't know if that's like your particular favorite um but tell me about kind of creating that song yeah um so that song i wrote so we were actually living with lola's parents at the time i remember wrote that and i'll be ready and i think there's another one in in their like her dad's kind of office room i guess and it started with just messing around with an organ sound on um a juno g keyboard it's not a particularly fancy keyboard and then putting it through like a delay effect a modulated delay and that chord progression just emerged i also had listened to a podcast with john hopkins uh, which was one of those song exploder ones and he talks about putting stuff like bouncing a track or about bouncing a file of stuff down to one track messing it up bouncing it down again and basically just like getting so far removed from the original idea by just putting loads of effects on it so the start of um, you make me feel is basically that sound of weird noise is kind of that idea put into practice and then emerging from that murkiness is the sort of falsetto vocals and the sort of ah, 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 background thing which um yeah that, that just felt really nice to do when i recorded it and i have a background as a choir boy in saint patrick's cathedral and um, so myself and jeff from spies actually used to sing there i just like singing the falsetto register it kind of feels nice for me or feels comfortable so that's where that started and then lyrically i was like you know what? i haven't done a full out love song <laughs> you know i haven't i haven't done that and i just felt like you know what i'm gonna do it and i just felt like the right opportunity to do it and you always worry is it going to be cheesy is it going to be uh, but i feel like it just about works um because the, the the music is kind of a little bit weird and what the icing on the cake for this track was when dave got the uh the nord out and played the sort of roxy music brian ferry style uh dung like the, i can't remember the name of that keyboard but uh, yeah, so that that was kind of what took it to another dimension. And there's an ocarina solo as well. In oh, the, wow. Uh, <laughs> Man, there's so much going uh, on. Like we literally, we, we just did, this is what I said, like we went into the studio and just did whatever the heck we wanted. And uh, my brother, Sean, um, popped in with his French horn and he recorded the French horn for I'll Be With You. And um, 
the ocarina solo which dave kind of pieced together at the end it was actually a few cents off pitch wise so we had to record it slightly off key and then pitch shifted afterwards so when you're in if you're in the studio hearing it being recorded i'd say it sounded like the most horrible sound <laughs> not quite Gilliband uh dissonance uh level but you know something close to that <laughs> maybe they'll consider some ocarina who knows i didn't know that you were a choir, a choir boy until i think it was uh an interview with dahi that i was uh reading he mentioned you have like an amazing falsetto so like you've had that since you were young yeah, I, I sang loads as a kid and I used to do like the snowman in the National Concert Hall, you know, like the so the they'd have vo- the, the main voice, the main voice. Wow. Well, like I wasn't acting. I would literally be standing up beside the organ in the National Concert Hall and they'd have like some BBC broadcast or R- big RT name reading out the snowman and they'd have the orchestra. And then just for the walking in the air bit, like the spotlight would come on to me and I'd be like, we're walking. <laughs> and that was my I think the money I earned from that was my I bought my first guitar. Or my my first electric guitar, um, shortly after I'd seen School of Rock. So, you know, that's where I was like, you know what, I like this this classical stuff's grand, but you know, Jack Black showed me the way, (laughs) the ways of the rock. Uh, Do you still have that register? Has it changed over time? Like, can can you see it kind of going? So, I my voice, I don't know when it broke exactly, but it was definitely later than most people. I was probably forty. I could still sing quite well in that high register when I was fourteen, but it kind of the, the tone sort of shifts from being quite a nice tone to a bit more hooty a bit more like Ooh. <laughs> so uh it eventually probably dropped fully maybe at some stage 14 15 but i kind of always lamented that i, I really liked my voice then you know i kind of and maybe i got praise for it because i've been seeing at concerts and stuff and i never really found my chest voice i always felt a bit awkward and i think you do need to train it a bit probably to get it to sit right but um I haven't really done that so but with this album was kind of that's why you're hearing a lot of falsetto and a lot of chest voice a bit of a mix I I never really know where I am you know I'm kind of like do I go head voice here do I go chest voice um so I still have that kind of higher register not as high obviously as when I was a kid but um it feels comfortable to sing in that falsetto range but in the end now the record's done I kind of like that it's sort of there is that mixture and maybe for album two I'll make a more clear-cut decision oh this is going to be chest voice or this is going to be head voice you know so you haven't settled on kind of i still no idea i I think i at at the end of the day it's what the song is calling out for so i have to i do a lot of you know recording vocal ideas over whatever the idea is until it feels right and uh, if it doesn't feel right i'll sit on it and see how it goes and then you know and then sometimes there's a light bulb moment like you make me feel i probably did a good few low lower vocal things there and then all of a sudden you're like you know what i'm gonna sing as a choir boy (laughs) and it just works you know and then when you when it works you know you know it works um and i mentioned dahi i do know that when i chatted to him he was talking about you featuring on his album you went down to the beekeepers down in clare and recorded um on his album with david yes yeah uh this episode sponsored by david tapley um (laughs) Tell me about the difference between featuring on someone else's album as opposed to like working on your own album. So, first you of just all, just do what they say. Like, no, no. Like, uh, see, this is my only time doing it, so I, I haven't really featured on anything else that I know of. I play with Royal Yellow, but I haven't featured in this way as like a vocalist. But um, Dahi is someone that I've known for years, just from being around the scene, you know, playing gigs or whatever. And like, I remember seeing him in the Twisted Pepper, like donkeys years ago and but we never really kind of chatted much other than hello you know and so 
we ended up chatting at that festival in Cork. What was it called again? It Takes a Village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, at that, I think I'd already released Loving You. And he was like, hey, man, do you want to actually come down to the beekeepers with yourself and Dave and we can just hang out and see what happens? And I was like, yes, that is exactly what I want to do. That's the kind of stuff that I'll really enjoy. So um, we we did just that. And Dahi is an absolute wizard um, in many ways. He's very he's a very talented musician. He's very good with the, um, with the system, like using software. Uh, and he's got a great workflow and great attitude so for for that there was no and he said probably said the same to you there was no rules it was just to come in see what happens he had a few ideas floating around and we just started like throwing bits on it and i might say hey i might or hey i might throw this on or uh, play i brought a double, double bass down so i was doing some double bass which features on some of the rest of his album but the vocals for that track that we did together keep it for the next one kind of came spur of the moment and just kind of i was like uh, dahi can i just track these vocals and he's like yeah go for it so you know it can happen quite organically and i think that's the way that he wanted it and the way that i like to work so he got the best out of me in that way and you have three of your siblings i think on this album uh tell me about asking them was it just like (laughs) they play music why wouldn't they get them on the album yeah like we were we were known as the the irish von traps back in the day so my (laughs) my mom had a like we used to do like an annual concert every year at Christmas and there was a cohort who would go along to them. Um, the like, whole family? Yeah, literally, wow. the, literally the whole family. Like we can get you the CD if you want. Oh, what? Uh, yeah, so that was always what we did and that was just normal growing up doing that. Um, so whenever there's a musical thing in our family, it's not like a, a big deal to be like, will you play on this? It's almost like assumed that someone in the family will help you with it in some ways. Um, so when I had the studio booked, I was like, Sean, can you pop down with your French horn? Oh yeah, no worries. Yeah, I'll be there. Uh, my brother Paddy, uh, who who's very successful uh, with his music at the moment, he just released his album called Solace. Um, he also plays viola de gamba, which is like a Baroque instrument um, from, I don't know what year, probably 1600s or something. The instrument uh, is from? Yeah, the instrument is. Wow. Uh, wow. So he's gotten really into early music and Baroque music of late. But um, he plays a solo during uh, the instrumental section of Don't Question It. <laughs> so we kind of got ocarina solos, viola de gamba solos. Um, so yeah, that was just like, do you know what? Do you want to throw some on? It'd be good fun. Um, Lola is the other Dexter, but she's my wife. So she's not technically... <laughs> uh, she's she's now a Dexter after we got married. <laughs> so yeah, she sings obviously on as well. It's interesting, uh, like musical family when you were younger in Ireland... No, no trad or folk in in the album it sounds more classical uh yeah it's all classical so basically my dad was so my dad's from england uh he moved to ireland in the 70s and he got a job in saint patrick's cathedral as the choir master and um like he he studied in oxford and went to saint paul's and stuff to do was it saint paul's no guildford maybe um so he met my mum in ireland and then they decided to basically make a, a massive musical family <laughs> for some reason in ireland uh so yeah that that's kind of where the influences come from so you know christmas in our house is my dad kind of walks over to you and hands you a sheet piece of sheet music and you go okay uh so this is what we're singing uh, and he's like yeah so tomorrow morning we're gonna sing this in such and such a church okay grant you know <laughs> so, wow <laughs> it's good fun do you ever rebel against it like when you were a teenager like picking up the guitar were they like what are you doing no with that like guitar? my parents have been <laughs> so supportive like we the, my, my poor mom used to get so many complaints from our neighbors um she didn't have the best uh, relationship with our with our direct neighbors at the time because we would literally just be playing music till all hours, drums, guitars. And my mum was like, you know what? Great. You know, they're, they're doing something creative. They're not out hanging around like 
spar you know drinking cans you know <laughs> so it, i think that was great to have that encouragement um but yeah in terms of rebellion i mean i my rebellion maybe was not as aggressive as you know it was more of a just i got really interested in rock and punk music and still enjoy the classical stuff but i just didn't pursue it um as much some of my family like my brother's gotten into early music like i said my sister was director of a gospel choir and we've all gone in different directions but we all have a lot of mutual respect and yeah and do you still listen can you appreciate classical music or or is it just like when you're at home it's always on um it's not always on in terms of my dad doesn't really listen to a whole lot of music it's more just like we'd be singing it or there'd be happening there'd be someone performing it um so i i definitely still really love a lot of classical music i played in orchestras when i was younger as well and we got to do some great stuff like big symphonies um and you know playing double bass was great fun um but i i guess like the genre doesn't i don't really the genre doesn't bother me so much it's more just if i like it or have a connection with it so um, I wouldn't like some classical music just because maybe crap classical music yeah. or it's just like not particularly interesting but I'd love some because it's interesting you know so mm. I don't really mind and tell me about the artwork for your album it's really amazing it's by David Hederman yes yeah thank you um, well thanks I'll, I'll send that thanks <laughs> on to David uh, so this came about quite organically we were just chatting at a Young Hearts Run Free event um, and he was back from Berlin because he lives there and he was asking me uh, or not asking me it just came up randomly and we said will you do a portrait of me I don't know why we started saying that but um, and he was like you know what yeah sure and um, I followed up with him I was like do you want to actually do that and he was like yeah I actually do we, we kind of both meant it so um, and at that time I'd written a few songs and I was kind of figuring out oh maybe that could be artwork and you know um, and then in the end he came over uh, when I was staying in Lola's parents house out in Sandy Cove and he did the drawing of me as like a portrait in his own style and the whole thing was just really enjoyable and i'd never gotten a portrait done it's quite a weird experience but quite intense as well quite an, like you had music playing and it was like really lovely like a nice thing to do and uh, so it's about an hour or two of, of doing that and then at the end he was like look you hang on to that for a while but it's it was his piece you know and then he got on to me he's like look um do you know what you want to actually do you want it like you know do you want to buy it and i was like yeah please and he and he was really sound and um you know bought it off him especially during the time with covid and stuff so i think he appreciated that too but i was like of course I'm, i can't part with this thing i can't let you sell that to someone else like i'm definitely gonna buy it and uh, so i have it hanging on my wall in my gaff now it's like a meter by a meter and uh, got it scanned and now that's the artwork but i think it works well with the audio because there's so much stuff going on um you know with the audio on this on this album a lot of layered ideas and i think that's captured sort of organically with the way that he did that um drawing so yeah i think it works really well i think it's so interesting that like you know that came about at you meeting at young hearts run free the dahi collaboration happened at a music festival as well and we were talking earlier about that scene with uh, all of the Gilliband lads and all of the other musicians too like it's so important isn't it to have that kind of smorgasbord of like places where artists can just talk together i I couldn't agree more and also being open as well being open to it and when you have a connection with someone not letting it pass you by and not to get too sentimental but i think that if you do have a connection and you feel like something is working or could work uh, i'm not saying you should collaborate with everyone that you get on with but sometimes it just feels right and you have to just go with your gut on it and just go yeah uh, like the thing with Dave and it's it's reciprocated uh, with Dave Hederman and then it just works and he's actually ended up becoming sort of a I don't know like a, a really 
positive influence on me creatively and just you know we had a couple of phone calls we're talking about the artwork stuff and he'd be like you know keep it up you know it's important to, to to be making music and to be doing art at the moment with the world the way it is and you know just really encouraging you know it's nice to have sort of a mentor in that way and he's he's also a musician so he, he kind of understands the side of it he's such uh, a good musician he is, i want yeah. him to I, I, I want the immediate to get back together you know like one <laughs> oh day. man i mean everyone like the immediate are one of those bands that just everyone like knows and respects and likes uh just also because the, the the time they came out and probably there wasn't that much going on then maybe or they were like one of the bands that really did well that not many bands were but um yeah his own solo stuff is incredible as well he actually sang at a young hearts event um a different one and uh dave tapley was accompanying him as well but um i hope to hear some more of his stuff soon yeah um what about for you you've got this launch gig in the workman's cellar uh, on october 20th uh have you thought anything past that any neil dexter plans so there are a couple of shows um not fully confirmed or yet to be announced Um, we're looking at potentially some regional dates around ireland so very excited about that um but they'll you know keep an eye on the instagram on the website and you'll hear about that um but this has been the big focus, like getting this album out and kind of running this campaign. There's also another little treat to come out, um, as well as the album, a little, uh, I won't say what it is yet, but um, keep your eye on the socials. There's uh, another collaboration coming. Um, so yeah, there'll be a few little bits and then hopefully maybe some more shows in the new year. Um, and I'd love to do some festivals. So let's see if, if any will book me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely there's, there's going to be more coming. Great. Uh, you happy, proud of the album? very very happy and proud i think i'm you know I, i'm quite proud of the fact that i still like it which <laughs> maybe is like you know some people release something like oh god i hate it now and um, but i still like it Um let's see after the end of this the release cycle how i feel about it but the songs just seem to still even after listening back to them and sharing them with other people and they just i think they just kind of work and there's there's a hundred percent there's flaws and there's things that i maybe would change in some respects but I kind of just appreciate it for what it is now. And I'm I'm removed enough from it too. Like I finished recording this. The masters were done in 2020. So I literally have had these masters sitting there for that long. And that's a gift in a way because you kind of distance yourself from it. Cool. Well, don't focus on the flaws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, too late now. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, congrats. And thanks for the chat. Thank you very much.
I'll Be With You off Neil Dexter's debut album I'll Be Ready as I said that's probably my favorite song on the album at the moment but there's so many highlights so many to pick from I think it might change regularly as I get more acquainted with the album thanks to Neil for the nice long chats and the bike clap stuff just FYI is still up on Bandcamp if you want to go listen to his old band with Derek Eilie and finally this week we end as we do every episode with a brand new track from a new ish Irish artist. This week is Sheila Nigul, aka This Throat, whose release debut EP I Sent It Away to Die recently. You can get it on thisthroat.bandcamp.com. We're going to listen to the opening track, Ghosting, but first, Sheila is here to introduce the song. Hi, uh, this is Sheila, aka This Throat. Um, I've just released an EP called I Sent It Away to Die. We recorded it in Dry Lane Studios in Limerick and it's just piano and vocal, uh, nothing else. The first track is called Ghosting. I chose that one as the first track because maybe it's a little bit more melodic and a little bit less grim than the rest of it. And it's about feeling like you're doomed to repeat all the same mistakes. We decided not to add anything to the EP. We recorded as live. A little bit of reverb, and that's about it. No more instruments, no multi-track vocals, nothing. And that was, the idea was to reflect the sort of isolation and loneliness of lockdown, which is when these songs were written. All in all, it's quite grim and quite sad, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. I gave the boy a ball of string So he could find his way back to me When I asked him to return it His ghost refused to let me be 
So I left him in an orchard, then I sent him out to sea. I did everything I could to make him leave. This ghost, this ghost, he says no one will ever love you quite like me. This ghost, this ghost, he says anyone can break you, wait and see. This ghost, this ghost. Put him in a box and then I buried it down deep. Wrote him a funeral march to send him off to sleep. But he whispers and he kisses me with someone else's lips. He poisons every little joy I try to keep. This ghost, this ghost, he says you'll never love the way that you loved me. This ghost, this ghost, he says you'll only fuck it up, just wait and see. This ghost, this ghost And when I'm happy he reminds me of all the stupid things I've done When he feels my heart grow lighter he's sure to weigh it down He blocks all of the sunlight to be certain I can't grow When I try to speak of love he has a chokehold on my throat this ghost, this ghost Says you know you are soulless just like me This ghost, this ghost Says you'll never love the way that you loved me This ghost, this ghost Says you'll only fuck it up, just wait and see This ghost, this ghost He says no one will ever love you like me Thanks to Sheila for the voice note. Thanks for sending on the song. Go to thisthroat.bandcamp.com to hear the full EP. And despite the title, I sent it away to die. It's a really lovely listen. I'd recommend it. Thanks too to Lyra and Neil Dexter for the chats. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to The Point of Everything on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever. I don't mind where, but that's all I ask. And go support the artists involved, of course. We'll be back with more music and chats next Wednesday. And until then, 